This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Shall we begin? New York Herald Tribune. Patricia. Je voudrais come straight. Romeo et Juliet. Oh la la. PFM 89.9. Hello, everybody. You are listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn, Sharmila and Arvin. And uh, as you may have gathered from that little clip, uh, today we are paying tribute and throwing back to Breathless, uh, which is 62 years old. And we're doing that because Jean-Luc Godard, its director, passed away uh, almost exactly a week ago. So we are being quite atas today. La. Let's just be upfront about that, right? Jean-Luc Godard is this huge name in cinema, in world cinema. He's an auteur. Described as the North Star of cinema. Yes. Yeah. Um, and of course, one of, the, one of the early purveyors of the French New Wave. And I will confess, I've not watched... Everyone's confessing, right? Like none of us have watched Breathless before. So we thought this was a good opportunity to throw back to it and talk about, I think, both what makes him and this movie so singular when it comes to talking about film? And I think we have to say film. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is my first time watching uh, Breathless. And I I want to say that I love this movie on an intellectual level, as pretentious as that, as that sounds, right? Um, I appreciate it on a very uh, logical level. Like I know its place in cinema. I've read up about the movie. Um, and most of modern cinema started with the French New Wave and, and movies like Breathless or Breathless itself. So as someone who loves movies, like I get it. I get why this movie is, is so big. But I, I'd be lying if I said that I wasn't bored out of my mind watching it. Like one and a half hours of like, I cannot tahan where this movie is going. Um, I was zoned out half the time. And when I finished the movie, I was really glad that it isn't 1960 anymore. Like, thank you for making Top Gun Maverick a thing and allowing that to exist. But I am so glad we are 62 years away from what this movie is and what this movie had to do. You tell, know? Us, tell us how you really feel, Arvin. I feel like you're, you're soft-pedaling <laughs> a little bit about Breathless. Um, okay, well... I, yeah, it, it is, as we're all saying, uh, it was my first time watching this film, despite the fact that I, I know it, again, as a cinematic hallmark. Um, there are images of it that, that I get, that I understand. Um, and yet, I feel, I think, in many ways the same. Um, I'm happy to talk about it. I liked watching it as as a way... As, as an entry point, I think I think into Goddard's work. Um, I liked watching it knowing that we would come together and talk about it for 20 minutes and I was looking forward to that because I think it's a very interesting film. But in terms of how much I enjoyed it, maybe it's, it's hard to use the word enjoy, even though it is in many spots quite beautiful. So Breathless is a... It's kind of a high-concept, dramatic thriller episode of Seinfeld. 
<laughs> yes, it's right. about nothing. It, is. it exactly yeah. is. Yeah, because it's more or less about nothing, and yet it's got as its backdrop or as its frame a, a crime thriller, like a Bonnie and Clyde situation. But basically, it tells the story of Michelle, who is a who is a criminal on the run, having committed a serious crime, who is going to Paris like a bum, in order to find the girl he loves and persuade her to run away with him. He goes into hiding, people are on his tail, and through it all, he keeps trying to seduce Patricia, uh, who is this American girl that he's in love with, and try to persuade her to be in love with him too. Yeah, and that sounds a lot more exciting than what the movie actually like turns Seinfeld. out to be. Um, you know, look, I you said, Arvin, that you enjoyed it or rather you found it interesting from an intellectual point of view. And I completely get that. I will also say that if you go into it knowing that this is what it is, it's going to be a film that isn't familiar in the way that we think about cinema today, uh, that it set the tone for a lot of things that later on became so common that we don't even think about it anymore. Things like breaking the fourth wall or jump cuts and things like that. Then it helps. So... I think almost inevitably movies like this have become a little bit of an intellectual exercise. You watch them because you want to learn something about the world of film and cinema. So through that lens, there were things that I found so interesting, right? I loved how... I mean, French New Wave is all about exposing the artificiality of movie making. And I loved how you watch this and sometimes it looks like did they know they were being filmed? They make mistakes, like someone trips or they drop something and that's just like part of the scene. Um, the camera films them as they're walking away and you can't really hear what they're saying. Are you supposed to know what their expressions are? Who cares? That's just what this movie looks like. And looked at it through that lens, I think I almost found myself being so intrigued that this too was cinema that this too was film and that this set the tone mm. for something. And I think that for me was interesting. I wouldn't say I enjoyed it. There were definite parts where it was a bit of a slog as well. There were definite parts where I was like, why are these people talking to talking at each other? And what are they even saying? And it doesn't help, of course, that they're speaking in French. And then you're reading subtitles that are as oblique as what they're saying. So I had the same... Um interested slash confused slash I might like or not like this uh, reaction to the movie. So my biggest question is, is Michelle supposed to be uh, the protagonist? Is he supposed to be a good guy? Because I know this movie was designed to subvert like expectations, um, but I still like the American version of the quote unquote bad boy because their version is sad boy, bad boy, right? <laughs> like like I'm, I'm my life is on the road. I can't love you because I'm afraid of intimacy, that sort of thing. Um, the breathless French version of a bad boy is bad boy, rude boy. So he's, con <laughs> he's continuously calling her like, you're coward or you're stupid or you're ugly. And I'm like, is that oh supposed to God, be... Oh my God, he's charming? nagging her. Yeah. No, no, he is. He completely is. And I'm like, is that supposed to be 1960s charming or is that just supposed to be rude or is that supposed to be the French version of romantic or the French new wave cinema version of romantic? Like what is happening here? Like is he uh, supposed to be someone we relate to or, you know, we like or, or not? And I couldn't get it. By the, even at the end of the movie, I was like, 
I don't I don't get this guy. Like, am I supposed to think he's a hero or not? So I think that that extends to all the characters, actually, um, including mm. to Patricia. Um, I'm saying that wrongly. I can't even say it. Patricia? The way that, yeah. No, that's just you, you've gone House of Gucci. I know. I, <laughs> I have. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it, it extends to Patricia, right, who's played by Jean Seberg, uh, because Basically, you've got Michelle uh, as played by Jean-Paul Belmondo and Patricia as played by Jean Seberg. And the two of them are ostensibly a couple. They're ostensibly flirting. They're they're on the cusp of seduction. But are they? Because a lot of what happens is really, like you point out, Arvin, kind of straight up unromantic or unsexy, un unintimate you know it's the opposite of what intimacy is supposed to be and the way they talk at one another it's not even like they're quoting poetry or or anything they're making oblique statements that don't really relate to the thing that the the person previously said so it was important to me um, at least at about the 15-20 minute mark to realise that I don't need to relate to them in order to watch this movie because I think if if not like you I would have finished 90 minutes and gone I, who are they? <laughs> you know am I supposed to <laughs> what am I supposed to get out of this as opposed to appreciating it as a movie or story experience as a whole rather than trying to latch on to the characters because that I, I feel is hopeless I don't think you're meant to like them at all to be honest They're both um, terrible. Yeah, they're both not mm. likable. I'm not even sure they really like each other. I think they like the idea of what the other person represents to a certain extent. What helped for me is they were so clearly meant to be riffs of Hollywood stereotypes. Like he's Humphrey Bogart. Like he literally stands in front of a poster of Humphrey Bogart. He says bogey. Yeah, he says bogey. Mm-hmm. She's clearly the ingenue who's like in a foreign land who meets like this exotic new lover. So that requires charm though. But that's the thing, right? So they, <laughs> mm-hmm. they create these, they, they take these archetypes and then just make them into a nothing. <laughs> like make them into the least interesting versions of those archetypes ever. And I'm like, oh, so maybe that's what this movie is doing. I will say I did read a couple of interviews about the film where Godard and other analysts um, talk about how this is meant to be a sort of reaction to the imperialism of Hollywood cinema. So in that lens, it kind of you can see what they're doing. Again, I know this is all sounding very intellectual exercise and I want to emphasize that that was largely what it was for me. But I will say I loved Jean-Paul Belmondo. Um, He's so watchable. He's so, um, every time he's on screen, I found his presence just so interesting. And I I kept wanting to see what he would do. His physicality, his face was just great to spend time with. Yeah, I I also love the way he speaks French because it's the most unappealing French I've ever heard (laughs) in in any movie, you know, because in movies, when you watch movies, right, like every French person sounds like like Lumiere from Beauty and the Beast, um, which is which is not true. And um, Breathless is, is, like I said, like famous for like realistic dialogue and subverting expectations. right? So it's a very raw way of making movies. They shot on location. It's like natural lighting. You can see the people walking in the background, like turning around and, and looking at the actors or, or trying to figure out what is happening with the cameras and stuff. So um, I, I love that part of it because his, his French sounds crass and unromantic Um and it's like the most quote-unquote karat version of French that I've heard like, in, in a movie so far. You know, it, it really caught me by surprise. For a karat um, and, character, it makes sense. For, for, yeah, yeah, for, yeah, for one, of them, for one of them, right? And um, I just love hearing him sort of take the dignity out of a whole language. Like, it was so good for one and a half hours. 
We're talking today about Breathless, uh, which was, of course, written and directed by Jean-Luc Godard, who passed away a week ago. Uh, we'd like to hear from you. Have you watched any Godard? Uh, have you watched Breathless, in fact? You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899 and, of course, tweet us as well at BFM Radio. Bringing fresh meaning. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you are listening to Popcorn Culture or Popcorn Culture uh, tonight with Lynn, Sharmila and Arvin. Or Popcorn Culture, if you're going down the Jean-Paul Belmondo route. Yeah. So uh, today we are paying tribute to Jean-Luc Godard, who passed away uh, a week ago, who was widely regarded as a truly seminal filmmaker. And we're talking about the film that in some ways made his name, Breathless, from 1960. So um, we mentioned earlier, Jean-Paul Belmondo, who is just actually really good and, like you said, really watchable, really interesting. I think the way he embodies the character physically is is quite significant in the way that he chooses to walk or occupy space or later on run. Um, let's talk a little bit about Jean Seberg, though, because she is an interesting... Um, she's an interesting screen presence in this movie, partly because... As a non-French speaker, I think we're further alienated from her because we know she's speaking French as a second language. We can recognize that. But it's hard for us to be able to tell how other characters are, are engaging with or understanding her. Yeah, and I even found it tough to figure out whether she's putting in a good performance or not. For that reason, yeah. right? Yeah, I found I, the same. I will say I didn't, I found her beautiful. Um, I found the way the camera just frames her face and um, particularly because this is in black and white, um, really, really arresting. But I could never tell whether she was actually doing a good job. And to be fair, this was the first movie within which she sort of made her name. Uh, she went on to do some really remarkable roles. Um I thought she was great for the role. As to whether she was great in the role, I'm still not really sure. So I would, mm, interesting, because I, I would say yes, she was. Um, I thought, like watching her, right, I thought she understood the assignment. Um, everyone mm. was doing a sort of like, uh, quote unquote, indie way of acting and it was more realistic and they didn't put on um, a performance per se. So all of them were just like talking to each other or like you said, at each other. Um, all of them were stepping over each other's dialogue and cutting each other off. And I think she she fit in like quite well. I also love the fact that when she was speaking English, it was with an American accent. So mm. it wasn't like one of those like foreign films that cast one of their own and get them to pretend like they're American. And then you, you're just taken out of the whole thing. We spoke about this when watching Squid Game, right? Um, like how they would hire these <laughs> actors. Um, so I, I love seeing that. I love seeing that when she spoke, you you knew immediately that she was um, American. I, th I thought she did like her performance was like really nice. It was kind of like magnetic. Yeah, uh, I I think, again, once I stopped trying to 
once I stopped trying to like her, once I stopped trying to like anybody at all, I was then able to appreciate the performances just as performances. And the same is true of the film's visual style, which is something that I genuinely enjoy, along with the music which we just heard. But I really, really loved the visual style of the film. I, I loved the extreme close-ups. I enjoyed the way things were framed, the handheld camera quality to it, um, the, the various jump cuts, the famous jump cuts, which I didn't expect. So I knew that the jump cuts were part and parcel of the film's signature style. What I didn't expect was that you would have jump cuts within long shots. And, and that, <laughs> that was um, really, it's something that we now see employed by people trying to be atas and artsy. And so to watch it in its original form, in a way that was so particular, was quite enjoyable. I love the way the film shoots the city of Paris. Um, you know, you you feel... So there are these great aerial shots and then there are these like tight handheld camera shots of the streets. You really feel like you're walking around the streets of Paris with these characters. Listening to people have pointless conversations. Exactly. <laughs> speaking of pointless conversations, uh, speak, speaking of actually those performances as well, there's this extended sequence of just Michelle and Patricia um, in a bedroom uh, talking smoking, I don't know. Listening doing, to the radio. Listening to the radio, looking out the window. Like, they do a bunch of stuff. You know, the more I think about it, I feel like that might be one of my favourite parts of the film. When it was happening, a part of me was like, when is this going to be over? But when I look back, I realise the way they, they are framed, the, the all the different things they do in this really tight space, um, the way each actor is framed, I realised I actually think back to that bit quite a lot. Isn't it strangely dynamic? Yes. Um, I, I keep thinking about how he made that scene work um, in a way that is both uncomfortable but also really appropriate for those characters. Oh, I hated that whole scene <laughs> so I much. I don't blame you because as it was yeah. happening, I found myself looking at my watch. That that was the scene that made me zone out the most. Like I missed chunks of that scene and I had to go back and watch it again because I completely lost the plot. Like I didn't know where they were going with this. And we've seen movies like this, right? There are so many new movies where they have like extended scenes and dialogue that goes on for like, you know, 25 minutes, 30 minutes, 35 minutes of just two people having a conversation. Um, I don't know, maybe it's just the 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 datedness of the movie. Maybe it was set in a different time. Um, also that 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 scene made me think like, this whole movie should have just been named French criminal is very hormonal. And I'm using I'm using a word that we cannot say because we can't say the actual word on radio. But it's literally him just pestering her to sleep with him every few sentences. And I was like, where is this going? And all of a sudden, like, William Faulkner gets whipped out in conversation <laughs> and there's like a poem. And I'm like, oh, my God, this movie, it's so it's so high up there. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 that was the scene that made me just completely lose it. I was like, I, I don't get this. I think that scene is the centerpiece of the film, whether we like it or mm -hmm. not, right? Because it's the longest I sequence. I think it makes or breaks whether you enjoy the movie. Yes. And, and as is currently getting clearer and clearer, you can simultaneously do both. Because mm. as I was watching it, I was very much, um, you know, is there what am I supposed to be observing here? Okay, like radio is happening. That's very important, I think. Whether he likes music or not, also clearly a, an issue. Is there a class divide? And so there was a lot of churning in my head of like what is actually happening. Um, while at the same time also acknowledging that the just the movie loving bit 
the movie loving part of my heart and brain was also like what great framing and what yes. like lovely mm. camera movement right because they're climbing over each other um the the way the the room is laid out um you, in order to access the door or the bathroom, both of which they go in and out of, you have to climb over the bed. You have to walk out towards the space. And the way that it's done and the tightness of it is is wonderful. I, I know I said earlier, unintimate. And I think that this scene does the best job of simultaneously being very, very intimate and very, very alienating. I kept wondering where the camera was, which I thought was weird, right? Because I'm like, Mm. oh, this room is so small. I mean, obviously, it's probably a set, right? But in my head, oh, it's not? Oh, well, Lynn is shaking her head at me. Yeah, no, it was was a room. So in my head, I was thinking, this room is so tight. Where was the camera? And how do they do this? Like, how do they, how does he film this in this way? Um, In contrast, actually, my other favorite scene is this whole sequence where a couple of cops are on Michelle's tail and... Patricia sort of distracts them and they sort of enter and exit some cinemas and there's just a sort of weird slapstick quality suddenly that appears to the film Uh, and I'm just like what is this movie doing like it shifts from tone to tone so quickly Um, I enjoyed that bit a lot as well I don't know why I, I go back to thinking about random scenes and random shots and thinking to myself I kind of want to rewatch that just to see how they how they shot it and how it feels. Maybe that is the best thing about this movie, though. I mean, like we mentioned Seinfeld, right? Um, and it so is, like even with the with the jazzy ish music, um, <laughs> and and it doesn't have the kind of comedy, but it is such a Seinfeld thing, right? And I don't know. For me, it was uh, the most appealing and the least appealing thing about the film because I didn't know where it was going, but I also enjoy that. At that time, it must have been so different to have a movie like this that wasn't telling you anything super intellectual or didn't have like a deep meaning and it didn't have the the quote unquote the seti look of Hollywood um, and something that just looked like this like uh, like a documentary slash day in the life of a petty criminal who also committed murder story. <laughs> um, I I don't know I don't know I still I still don't know if I enjoyed the movie for that or not but it's still a very it's still a very logical thing for me. You know what I like about it? We normally close our throwbacks with a question of whether um, we want to see a remake. This can't be remade. Like there's literally no way that you would be <laughs> mm. able to remake this film, and I think that. that that is partly the mark of an author, right? That's what it means to be an author because you can't replicate a person's vision and motion with the camera. You can't replicate the time in which it came out and the meaning that it had when it came out. Now it would it would indeed just be petty criminal, speaks French, like, you know, speaks mm-hmm. French in a way that robs it of its dignity, commits murder. <laughs> Isn't that why the remake flopped though? I mean, they, because they just couldn't they just couldn't do it again, right? In, Wait, there was a remake? With uh, Richard Gere at 92, oh, yeah, I think. Oh, yeah, of course. See, can't be done. Yeah. And, can't be done. And also because what's the point? This movie is not about the story at all. It's actually about the visual experience of it. And that, Ooh. I think... It's the perfect note to end on. Uh, we've been talking today about Breathless, throwing it back 62 years, uh, basically in honour of its director and screenwriter, Jean-Luc Godard, who passed away a week ago. Let us know if you are a Godard cinephile um, and if you've watched Breathless. You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9. 
the business station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.